Hello there, I'm Father Grant Naylor, the parish priest at St Matthew's Carver Street, and this is Coffee with Father, a weekly 15-minute interview with someone after Mass, inspired by the words of God in 1 Peter, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it is a great joy for me today uh, to be joined uh, just after Mass on this Solemnity of Peter and Paul with Dr Jean Russell, uh, who's our assistant sacristan here at St Matthew's. Uh, so hello, Jean. Hello. Uh, Jean, uh, as you know, we've just been focusing mm. on people in this podcast, just hearing a bit about their story. So um, just a bit of a conversation, really, yeah. about faith. And normally start with uh, how you found your way to St Matthew's. Now, um, that has been a bit of an interesting journey for you, hasn't it? When did you first come here? 2016, 2017. Um, yeah, to the evening service. Well, to prayer before the, uh, turned up. Had been down, had been out of church for two years. Mm. And had been keeping myself busy by going down the gym and such had been as was my practice to go for a swim on a Sunday afternoon and came back I was slightly bored mm. walked past the church door yeah a certain young priest was there who said coming in spent 15 minutes before the the crucifix and thought well I better be back next week <laughs> <laughs> that's great I, I, I remember that and I, I and I remember actually it was at a time when we hadn't long started mm-hmm. the evening mass, uh, which um you know, I, I wasn't sure how that was gonna go yeah. to be honest. Set starting the six PM mass, which mm-hmm. now has grown into being a really solid congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh but you were an answer to prayers yeah. because I was hoping that there would be some people that not only use the six PM mass but treated that as their main Sunday observance. Yeah. Um, and then the Lord sent me Barry and you, mm-hmm. yes. who have been absolute mainstays of that congregation. Yes. yes, in some ways we could do with one or two more who, who, who it was the main mass. Yes, yeah. To join the team. But it is interesting now. Mm. I, I mean, I remember when we first started that mass thinking, will we get a regular congregation? And, you know, looking now, it's it's always 25 or something yeah. which yeah. is just amazing yes it's always it's it's a growing congregation it would be huge if you looked at everybody who ever went or used it yes but when you look at the number who are there week in week out and therefore able to be on rotors and such yes. it's tiny yes yeah what did you what first do you to why why in, you come to the evening mass for example um i was looking for an well i was looking for an evening service at that mm. point um i had been my previous church had always been morning i'd been an evening worshipper all my life don't know why or, mm. or what triggered it but um always just been happier in evening worship, like the silence, like the quiet of it. Um, was 
and it was an evening when I first walked past and it was before the mass and I'd been setting up I'd been trying churches they'd been very good at off-putting me yeah um, got into one church where the first social I went to I ended up discussing the heating service <laughs> I thought that was That's a good very, sign yeah. a, a good fleece to put out if you get, get them talking about the heating service I think I need to be out Is that a reference to the Holy Spirit? Charismatic <laughs> <laughs> renewal? Or was no. it just literally the boiler? It was the boiler Okay, right um, But you have, although you've had some years out you've got a very rich and varied journey yeah. actually to Anglo-Catholicism um, can you say something about that? Because you were brought up in a household of faith. When you oh, were, where, where were you born and how did things I start I was out? born... Well, let's go back a step further. Mm -hmm. My parents met out in what was, what was known as Bantu Stans, but it was one of the black-ruled areas of South Africa. Yes. Um in what was known as the Federal Seminary, which had Anglican, um, Scottish, Methodists and Congregational College. Yes. Um, you could find articles on the Fed Sem. And your father was a Presbyterian minister at no, that No, he was congregational. Ah, OK. Yeah, I managed the rarity of being... A child of parents of one continent baptised on another continent into a church of a third continent. <laughs> wow, that's, that's... That is quite something. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I was born into... At the church that actually sponsored my baptism was the Congregational Church of the United States of America. Wow. So I've never been to America, but that's... So this is now basically Congregationalists of a Universal Church. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, like you it. know, there is a universality. Um, yeah, the Fed Sem, the Anglican College, and I can't remember its name. I know the Scots was St Columba. I'm pretty sure the Methodist was Wesley and the, the congregation was Adams, but I can't remember what the Anglican was it will have been it's a saint yeah but can't remember which one it will have been an English saint yeah um but at that point the principal of that college was actually a brother from Murfield yes so and there were two or three Murfield ones so my parents, when they got married, sorry, Carl was held back by the brothers. My father reversed into them, sent them their white cloaks flying. Yes. Uh, yeah, but you see, that's even getting halfway through the story because I have, from my mother's side, the family Bible just gone through three or four generations of Methodists with mm. preaching notes in it. My father's parents were evangelical tin tabernacle who then went to 
Carl's Lane, Birmingham, which was one of the big congregational churches in the country. Yeah. Um, when Dad when it was clear Dad wasn't going to stay in a little tin tub. So, yeah, I, I would say we're three, four generation minimum Christian mm. going back and committed not just the sort who went to Sunday because it was a good place to go on a Sunday or to hear a good sermon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you've not just been observers. But not just observers. And so your father was a minister and a theological educator. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was a minister and a theological educator. Had a PhD on Calvin and St Augustine. Great. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, uh, the nature of the church in the two of them. Yeah. Well, not a PhD, he had a DPhil. Yeah. And is that what, was it your father's influence that got you interested in the faith and especially from an academic perspective? Because do you want to say something about your academic journey? Okay, my academic journey, it, well, academically, I've gone from the extreme. I'm, my first degree is a maths degree, done statistics to get a job. Yeah. And then I switched tack completely. But that was coming out of my previous church where I walked into a congregation which had a lack of hope, mm. who believed they would be dead in well, they said in 10 years. Mm. This was early 1990s. The congregation is still going, considerably smaller, but still going today. Yeah. But this sort of negative thing. And after having tried to get them to, do, to get buy-in to vision statements and that sort of thing, which mm. was the solution to these sort of situations at the time, it was very obvious that that was not how they were going to function. Yes. They weren't going to do the buy-in. So they weren't, in a sense, wanting the hope because the hope meant they had to change. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And I had to sit down and decided that I really wanted to understand what motivated and got congregations working on their own identity and mission. And was that the subject of your doctorate? That basically was it. Yeah, interesting. So it's a contextual. My father's stuff was very much doctrine and historical theology and very much contextual and reflective. Interesting. Because I've always enjoyed, uh, I, just to say to the listeners that... Um, this coffee with Jean is not an infrequent thing uh, because often <laughs> I do enjoy having a coffee with Jean to uh, really at the pre-shared and stage mm. often with other people I, I often just like to talk through some deeper ideas about life in the parish here. What was it then that made you, you know, you, you were first drawn in because you were just yeah. passing by what was it that made you stick in an Anglo-Catholic context, which is probably very different from where you've been before? Yeah, but not different in the way people expect. I remember Joyce and Patrick saying, oh, they'll be awfully fussy here. 
you'll find them awfully fussy. Mm. And I pointed out that I have never yet, and I hadn't at that point, and several years down, seen ever the service set their watchers together so it's at the right time to go in for mass. I have seen that at St Andrews. Yeah, <laughs> in the Presbyterian context. Yeah, fussiness goes with Presbyterianism as well <laughs> as it goes with High Anglicanism. It's a different sort of fussiness. Yes. Uh, and there were well, some people who would be upset about me for saying that. It's true. Yeah. Um, what made it stick? The prayer? Uh, it was a place I came in and I met with God. It was a place where I, having felt outcast from Christian fellowship, I started to find people who wanted Christian fellowship with me. It was a place... I was given the time to heal, not rushed into things. It was a pl It feels crazy, even now saying it, but it's the, the Anglo-Catholic devotion for me has never been the problem. Yeah. It came as if it was always there, but I'd never known it. Well, this is what I find fascinating about really getting to know you more, that things like the officers things like monastic influence yeah. seem to have always been present in yes. you uh, which I find really really fascinating actually and I've enjoyed those conversations yeah well they're just there and and you do have a particular call to rhythms of prayer that often look like the religious life as yeah. well um, and just recently you've been forming a link with a religious community, haven't you? Yeah, I've been going down to the Sisters of the Love of God, which is in the suburbs of Oxford. Um, I used to go to Mass there whilst <laughs> I was at St Stephen's House. Yeah. Yeah, amazing place. It's, yeah, it's... You could walk round that suburb for hours and not realise it was there. Yeah. Yep. And then you walk in by the now entrance, which looks like almost a commercial entrance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it leads into a car park and you think there's going to be a sort of nice set of offices or something. I think that's a deliberate policy with religious. It's to yeah. sort of put people off, isn't it? <laughs> yes. you know, and, and then if they can find their way in, then, then, <laughs> then they're right. Get, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you, you, you go in and there's a huge building. Um, a quad that now must be as big as any cathedrals. Wow. A cloister. Yeah. Um, because of the way it's built. Yes. I've never actually been beyond there. I've yeah. been into the chapel and that's it. it. The rest was mysterious it's, for me. Yeah. I quite liked it that way. <laughs> Yeah, well, you come in at a different entrance. You don't get it. They don't allow you in that entrance anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's got a garden with badgers and birds, and they were really excited because they had a pyramidal orchid flowering when I was last down. 
and they grow a lot of their own food and that sounds, and sounds so, like the good life yeah and it has a quite yeah but it has a rhythm of prayer and so often in this life it's about fitting an office if you're an office person it's fitting it in all the time yeah yeah and to just go somewhere where the basic rhythm is there it's there yes yeah and it's set. set i find that so liberating yeah it's just for five for a week i don't have to think how do i fit this office in yeah it's just there one of the things that i've been very grateful that you've got involved in is mm. you've been assistant stephen in the sacristy yeah. And he spoke in our first podcast about him seeing that as a vocation. Now, I know that you have your work at the university, but what do you see as special about that role in the sacristy that you have here? Because, I mean, I must admit, when you first got here, I thought, oh, Gina will want a teaching role or something like that in the life of the parish. And then it was interesting how just naturally the fit seemed to be the sacristy. Yeah. What's going on there? It's a place I feel at home. Um, for me, having a place where I can be part of the community and yet not up front yeah. is vitally important. It gives me a space for quietness. The sacristy is a place of prayer. The prayer may be washing up the pots and the pans. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is still prayer. Um, it has... It is very much about serving the community, about getting things ready so that the services happen and happen without fuss. Mm, mm. The sacristans are happy when they don't do anything during the service. <laughs> if we're doing something, we've got something wrong. Well, I, I am impressed by just what you've managed to do, the hours of work that you put in. Mm. But I also, I think that one of your greatest moments as the sacristy team was in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. when not one, but not even two, but three uh, sanitizer dispensers arrived, which matched the corresponding candlesticks. So we had a stainless steel one to match silver. We had a gold coloured one to match the brass. And then we had a copper coloured one to match the copper God. candlesticks which for which St Matthew's is renowned um, so the attention to detail yeah. is not only seen by me but I'm sure seen by our Lord as well <laughs> <laughs> yes and probably most of the congregation but they don't realise it <laughs> yeah I don't think they imagine the amount of work that goes into it do they no it's no just had somebody Richard learning his way around yeah and because of my, because my wrist is, well, my arm is in a sling. I can't just nip and do things. Yeah. So I've had to be telling him and just sort of, where does this go? <laughs> so I'll just ask briefly, just to sum this up, because this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm sorry that um, I've run over it a bit, actually. But I just want to end, as we've asked all of these, is that what is it? that makes a difference to your day after you've received the Eucharist? How how are you different going out from the Mass now? What difference does it make to you?
minutes, sorry to pause. For me, the Eucharist is the point of intimacy with my greatest love. That was worth the pause. <laughs> thank you so much, Jean, and God bless you, and thank you for all you do for the life of the parish. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.